Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast, where game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, Co-op Cast. <laughs> Episode 29. I knew you were going for it. I stopped myself because I realized it was your thing, and I didn't want to step all over it again. <laughs> I was so proud that I remembered the number when you had told it to me, and then I was like, this is not my job. Stop it, Mike. Stop it. Well, that's okay, because I'm sure all the fans are happy to hear that we are going to be back to a normal episode where we're just doing a game, looking at the top five things about it, and then doing our design discussion. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. I was on an entirely normal episode last week with uh, Steve from the one-stop co-op shop side of the co-op cast. So I've been doing regular episodes left and right, man. Where have you been? Uh, Designing games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're doing some of that, too. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, today we're going to get into a deep dive on Sentinels of the Multiverse from Greater Than Games. This is one of the first co-ops I played. It's been a while since I've played the physical form of it, but I definitely got a refresher in by playing a bunch on the app over the last couple weeks. I was going to say the exact same thing. It's been years since I played it in card form, but uh, the app I play quite often. And actually, that goes into our design discussion for this week. We're going to talk about our opinions, our thoughts on not app integration within games, which we've already talked about in the past, but app implementations of games where you can play the entire game through an app. Yeah, so looking forward to that. But first, let's get into Sentinels of the Multiverse. And I guess I'll start out by talking a little bit about the theme. Yeah, hit us with it, man. So Sentinels of the Multiverse was really one of the first superhero games where you actually felt like a superhero. And I may even say one of the only ones still where you feel like a superhero. Certainly there are other ones, and definitely in the co-op universe, where you've got Marvel Legendary, and you got DC deck building games, but I'm not so sure you actually feel like a superhero in any of those games, whereas in this one, you're definitely playing as a superhero, and you feel that way. So getting further into the theme, you are a superhero in this universe, and you're trying to stop dastardly deeds, right? In the first game, the first villain you're going to face is Baron Blade, who is trying to pull the moon into the Earth and destroy the Earth. So there's all these crazy schemes, anything you can think of from like these superhero tropes they're going to try to do. The superheroes are unique to the Sentinels universe, but they are very reminiscent of heroes you might know. Like Legacy is Superman. Wraith is Batman, but a woman. I guess Batgirl. So they are reminiscent of superheroes you've known. Bunker is a lot like Iron Man, right? That's right. So these superheroes are all brought together to stop this villain, and every villain you play against is going to be different, and you're also going to be playing in different environments. But that leads a little bit into gameplay, so Mike, why don't you talk about the gameplay? Sure, so in general, your objective in the game, how you win, is to defeat the villain. Many villains will have a second side, and in some cases when you defeat the first side, they flip to the second side, and you have to defeat a different version of them. But that's your general objective, and if all of you are defeated, then you lose. Now, how the game actually runs, it's very simple. You have a villain turn to start, where, uh, 
generally the villain cards might do negative effects or villain uh, minions might attack you. And then you play one villain card every turn, basically adding to the things. Some of them are immediate attacks that are then discarded. Some of them hang around and try to attack you more. Uh, very similar if you've played Aeon Zen. They were, I think, inspired by Sentinels of the Multiverse in a lot of ways. So it works very similar to that. Then you get player turns, and it is uh, every player takes a turn after the villain takes one turn. So you have a big set of player turns in a row. On a player turn, you first get to play one card from your hand. Then you can activate one power. So everyone has a starting power that's on their like character card. But additionally, some of the cards you might play will give you additional powers you can use. Cards might also be one-shots, which let you do one effect and then discard them. Or they might also be either equipment or ongoing cards, both of which hang out for an extended period of time and give you uh, ongoing bonuses or extra powers. And then finally, at the end of a player's turn, they draw a single card. And after you've done all the player turns, you get an environment turn. And just like the villain turn, you resolve any before environment turn effects. You draw one environment card... Uh, which might stay in play and make new enemies or complications or might be discarded. Often for the environment cards, they have to actually be discarded by the players paying some kind of cost to resolve them. And uh, that's basically it for a turn. And you keep on going until the uh, heroes are defeated or until the villain is defeated. And talking about defeat, many, probably the majority of the cards in the game, deal damage in one way or another. Damage is entirely controlled. There's no dice rolling or anything in the game. So an attack will say deal three damage to a target or deal four damage to a target. There's tons of effects that give bonuses or penalties. So preventing some damage, adding some damage. Additionally, there is no player elimination in the game. But what happens is if a player loses all of their health, their card gets flipped over. And from then on, when their turn comes around, they get to just do one minor effect instead of getting to have their whole card management and everything they were doing before. So they're still in the game, but in a much more minor role. And I think that's the basics. Did I miss anything uh, major you can think of? No, absolutely not. I mean, the one thing I will say is every hero breaks these rules, right? So Sure, sure. It's play a card, play a power, and then draw a card. But each of these powers and each of these cards you play are going to break several of those rules. So Tachyon is one of the heroes, similar to the Flash, gets to play a lot of her powers or cards, say, play another card, play another card, or do a second power. So they're doing multiple activations in a row. And villains can do the same thing. They'll have a lot of effects that can make you draw an extra card. Yeah, so, I mean, it's very, very simple to play on the outside, but these cards really do bring a lot of flavor into the game. But we'll get into that in our top five. So, Mike, you want to explain top five? Yeah, if this is your first time listening, thanks for being here, and please go and listen to our older episodes. But what we do here is we talk about five aspects or mechanics or design decisions in the game that we think are most important or stand out the most when compared to other games. These might be positives, these might be negatives, they might be somewhere in between, but that's how we'll discuss the game. So, Peter, you want to hit us with your number five for Sentinels of the Multiverse? Yeah, so my number five thing I think you need to know about is the environment. First of all, I I don't think there's any game that still does that. Certainly, if you're in a dungeon crawler, you have a physical map, the environment plays a part in it. But typically, the environment isn't taking actions and isn't doing things. And in this game, it is. 
One of the environments you'll find yourself on is an island that's full of dinosaurs, and there's a volcano there that might explode, or the dinosaurs may attack you, or they may even attack the enemies. So the environment for me is just part of the puzzle, which is very interesting. So it's not always beneficial for you to defeat the island. Maybe it gives plus one damage to everybody. Maybe it's going to attack the person with the lowest health, and those are typically the minions of the enemies. So the environment can help you or hurt you, but it is going to be part of your decision-making in the game, and I just think that's kind of neat how that works. Now, there are negatives to this as well. So sometimes the environmental effect says it is just really bad for you and you have to get rid of it. But in order to get rid of it, one person has to give up their entire turn. So there's no lose a turn mechanic, except you can choose to lose a turn for the greater good of the team, which, yes, while that is heroic, isn't necessarily fun. So there are some negatives to the environments as well. But overall, I do think it's a a pretty big positive for the game. It, It separates the game from most other games and gives you something different to do and gives you something different to consider. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to talk about environments a little bit uh, lower down on my list, but agree with everything you said. Definitely a good design decision. And also agree with some of the worries. Uh, Peter and I are both strong opponents of almost any mechanic that causes people to miss a turn. It just is a fun killer. So uh, definitely a little bit of something to be worried about here. All right, Mike. So what's your number five? My number five is the theme. And this is a pretty much a, a full-on positive for me, and for a few reasons. And it's interesting this is Greater Than Games because we had uh, Chris Kirkman from Dice Hate Me, who worked with Greater Than Games on uh, a bit over a month ago. And one of the things we talked about in our Lovecraft discussion was how they had chosen for Fate of the Elder Gods to break out of the sort of status quo of illustrations that had been done by Fantasy Flight Arkham Horror Universe games, and have their own art direction for their game that sort of challenged people who were used to thinking of these uh, Lovecraftian creatures a certain way. I feel very much the same way here. As Peter mentioned, we have a lot of superhero games that are themed off of the big two uh, superhero universes, DC and Marvel. But Greater Than Games here has created an entirely new theme that while it is clearly an homage to other superheroes and... uh, other famous comics, is also very much its own thing. And the graphic design, the art, they all come together so amazingly. For those who have not seen the game, the characters, their cards are presented as comic book issues, like with a number and like the fun little quotes and things on the front that help that theme come alive. Pretty much all of the player cards and enemy cards have little quotes at the bottom. And it's not just a thematic quote, but they actually put a fake comic issue that the quote is coming from, which is such a neat little detail. And they have full bios of all of the heroes in the rulebook. It's just they, they dug so deep. And didn't just kind of like stop with what Peter said, having a a Flash stand-in or a Batman stand-in or a Superman stand-in. They instead went full force, made these characters their own thing, made this world its own thing. And through the course of there are a ton of expansions for this, uh, really just built this kind of unique comic universe. And I really appreciate that, especially in a, a game culture where... It's usually the easier choice when you can get a license to go for a license and not have to create your own uh, deep kind of thematic background. So big applause for Greater Than Games here. It's lower on my list, not because I don't appreciate it, but because it's not as important, I think, as the mechanical things the game does well and might not do well. But definitely something to mention. 
Yeah, no, that's a great one. And to be honest, it is such an important part of the game, and it will probably come through in my final thoughts. I didn't have this on my list at all, but even the artwork, I mean, it really does. Every card has its own unique artwork, and it has to do with the power of the card, which I know a lot of games have done in the past, but I think it's done better here than in most situations. I really do think when you get a card, the comic depiction of it is really spot on. Yeah, and, and a lot of them have like a nice mix of kind of tones. Like you'll have a humorous one. Uh, I think of uh, Haka, the Hawaiian uh, superhero. He's got one where a guy's like shooting his back and he's totally ignoring him because he's got his invincibility power on. And then you'll, you'll also have clear references to like some tragic event you're not aware of where a character is like bleeding and reaching out for help. So it, it's really cool both how they evoke the theme and uh, just how the entire kind of game is put together thematically. And I will say there are comics that go along with this, and they were invented after the game, I'm pretty sure. Maybe the first couple episodes came out with it. So maybe those comic references that we were talking about earlier, maybe they are... I mean, it would be really cool if they tied them in, right? Like, comic book you know, issue 105 has this <laughs> text in it. If they found a way to weave the story that way to get those in, that would be pretty neat. I mean, I can't imagine they could do all of them, but it'd be cool if they even did a couple. Like, that would be a fun little Easter egg. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to go on, I mean, you just Google Sentinels of the Multiverse story, and you can go on and read the first couple comics. It'll get you much more ingrained in the universe as well. But even without that, there's so much flavor and theme in those characters. It's pretty cool. I really do like how they created that universe. And the reason I'm talking so much is that wasn't one of mine. But moving on to something that is one of mine, my number four is The Enemies. So first I talked about the environments, now I want to talk about the enemies. Like Mike mentioned earlier, they're all two-sided, and at some point they will flip over. For Baron Blade, the first one you fight, it's when you defeat him. He flips over and gets angry now and starts attacking you even harder than he had earlier. So some of them will switch for other reasons, like Warlord Voss will switch when you defeat all his enemies, and then he'll build up a new army, and then he'll switch back to the other side again. So it's really neat how they do this, and every enemy feels different. And not just because of the power on the enemy card, which will certainly lead to them feeling different, but also every enemy has their own deck. So the Warlord deck is going to have more troops in it, whereas Baron Blade's deck has a lot of healing for him or defense platforms where he stands on them and you have to defeat their defense platforms before you can attack them or some things that discard cards because the way his win condition is triggered is he needs 15 cards in the discard pile. Well, he has cards that go through his cards even faster. So each enemy you fight feels very different from each other. Absolutely. Again, that's sort of in one of mine lower, so we're going to hit some similar points here. My number four is my only out-and-out kind of negative for the game. And Peter, this might be higher for you, but mine is that in getting a lot of variety in the cards, and man, there's a lot of variety, a lot of them have small to major effects on other actions people will take, attacks people will do, you will sometimes have four or five or six modifiers on a given attack, and you might do multiple attacks in a given turn. So a negative for the game, and my number four, is that they do have what I would call too many stacking bonuses and penalties. And the reason I put this not so uh, low on my list is because... I do play the game much more on the app recently, and the app takes care of all that bookkeeping, basically. 
But when I've played the game live, and even in the app, it slows down to kind of work out all of the uh, the attacks you're doing unless you press the fast-forward button. So I do find that the uh, the huge number of bonuses and penalties that can occur over a game while giving the cards ton of, tons of variety do lead to some more downtime and fiddliness with the game. Yeah, that may show up on my list a little higher. I imagined it might. <laughs> but for now, what's your uh, number three? My number three is the heroes. So I covered every, every <laughs> Jeez, phase of the game. The enemies, every every the type of card you might see. <laughs> yes, everything. But I really do think each of these things deserves their own specific category. If I was going to tell people about the games, I would tell them about the enemies. I'd tell them about the environments. I'd tell them about the heroes. And they'd tell them about the other two things I'm, I'm about to talk about. So I think they are unique and individual in this game and i don't think every game has that right so i mean i guess that's a pro on its side is each of these things has enough in it that it feels like it's something important and the game wouldn't be the same without them i know i've said a lot of times in the past i love unique characters and this game does that in spades Every character feels very different from every other character. Now, I will say, I have only played the base game, maybe the first expansion, Rook City. I haven't gone much past that, so I don't know how much duplication there is as you get further in. I mean, there's a lot of expansions for this game. But I will say that there is a negative to the heroes being so vastly different is I think some heroes are more interesting to play than others. Uh, Legacy is a perfect example. He's kind of the main superhero guy, but a lot of his powers don't do anything himself he kind of just buffs everyone else and so i find that less interesting myself maybe there are characters that want to be the buff character and i guess again that takes it to a pro side which is hey if you've played a lot of mmos and you like being the healer or you like being the tank or you like being the damage dealer you have opportunities to do all of those things in this game and so you know it's a pro and a con mostly a pro is how different the heroes are and how different they play that's great. Again, that's going to show up in a slightly different way later on mine. But yeah, I mean, really great heroes. And by the way, I don't know if we said this yet, but each hero has their own entirely unique deck with cards that only they get and nobody else ever gets. Same thing for all the villains, same thing for all the environments. So you've got a lot of really separate decks that you can mix and match to make the game you want to play. Well, and that's the other thing. I guess we never really talked about this, but you can choose any heroes you want to take on any villain you want in any environment you want. So it's not like it's this campaign where it's like, first, I'm going to fight this guy with these exact heroes in this environment. No, you mix and match however you want. And because there are so many expansions of the game, there are tons of heroes to choose from, tons of enemies to choose from, and tons of environments. And every single combination of those will create a lot of variety in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So my number three is just the simplicity and speed of the turns, especially the player turns, and also the interesting choices that come out of that great simplicity. So as we said, you play a single card, but man, those choices are hard because generally the one-shot cards will tend to do more immediate damage or have a bigger immediate effect. But then you also want to play powers that'll give you more offensive capabilities and more interesting things down the line. But then you also want to play these ongoing cards that might reduce all damage against you. So with a very simple system of playing a card, using a power, drawing a card, you get these really tough choices in your hand management and these really interesting choices about how you want to kind of develop your character. And it just moves super fast. It's really simple, incredibly easy to explain. 
you start out with few options and then they build up as the game goes along. It really helps the game move along quickly, even though you might have three, four, or five character turns, you know, after each villain turn and before each environmental turn. Yep. No, I totally agree. It's not on my list, but I do think this is a game where if you have someone running it who knows what they're doing and can handle all those modifiers that you can introduce new players to. The theme is so strong that I think you can do that. And also, I think you could pick your heroes in a way, kind of going back to my number four. You could pick your heroes and and villains. Some have more modifiers than others. You could certainly, like for your first few games, take a lot of that out and make it a bit more straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. So here comes my big negative. That is what you were talking about earlier. The game is very fiddly. I mean, there are so many modifiers, and I don't even know when to apply them. So, for example, Legacy, his base power is to boost your damage by one. But that actually also counts if you're, like, sometimes it says do two damage yourself to do four to them. That includes boosting the damage you do to yourself. So there are a lot of modifiers that go on in this game. It's hard to tell when they're going to trigger and when they're not. They're not always intuitive. Like, that legacy power wasn't intuitive to me. And so you get a lot of stacking modifiers, as you were saying. They do give you tokens in the game to track what the modifiers are. But again, the attack is kind of supposed to be a quick thing like oh i do four damage to you well if it was that easy then the game would go really way faster than it does but it's i do four damage to you plus one for the legacy bonus plus you're my nemesis which means you do one more damage to me and i do one more damage to you but it's not always that way right because if it's your minions then that doesn't count and if i'm attacking your platform that doesn't count (laughs) either but i mean you could just tell in the examples that i'm going through it's like wait a minute, when do I apply modifiers and when don't I? So there's a lot of this. And I mean, honestly, I had a hard time not making this my number one, but I do think it's a good game overall. But man, is it hard to get to the table because of all these things that can just stack on each other. And I'm sure it got worse with expansions, not better, because again, you probably ran out of content to do with the basic stuff. So I'm sure there was more modifiers as they went along. Well, and that's not even counting the types of attacks, because some people will be more vulnerable to fire attacks and immune to energy attacks, and you have even more stuff to kind of keep track of. So yeah, definitely problematic. Uh, the app handles it more easily, but it doesn't mean you can't play the the, uh, the actual card game. Just a challenge. Yep, so that's my number two. Hopefully your number two and one are more positive than that. Well, I mean, you've already talked about them a bit, because <laughs> I haven't gotten to any of the three things you went through at the beginning. So my number two is the environments, and gosh, I love these. As Peter said, it is a fairly unique thing. I guess we do see some cards that help you or are neutral in games like the uh, Legendary Encounters series, but it's done really well here because you will have cards that are entirely bad. You'll have cards that are entirely good. Uh, for example, in the, the city location in the base set, you sometimes have uh, police officers show up who will help to attack the enemies with you. But my favorite ones, and the ones that are most prevalent, are the ones that are sometimes good and sometimes bad, depending on how you adjust things. So there's a T-Rex that comes out and does a ton of damage on the uh, the same dinosaur island Peter had mentioned that only attacks the person with the second lowest health. So he doesn't want to attack the bigwig, the King Kong of the uh, the game. He wants to attack uh, the next weaker person. And like jockeying for position and healing and doing damage to get the environment cards that take care of business for you is really, really cool. I still agree with what Peter said. That's the ones that like force you to skip a turn can be annoying. But the environments are just really neat. And 
each of the decks that I've played at least has some card that's really crazy. So the Dinosaur Island has a volcano that can erupt and do a crazy amount of damage every single turn to every single person. I love all that kind of stuff. So even more than the the player and the enemy variety, which is great, I love that I can change up the entire thing and also give it that comic book feel because, you know, you'll have Batman fighting uh, the Riddler, but it's not always in Gotham. They'll change up where they're fighting. I, I like that it just uh, kind of increases the replayability and also gives these interesting neutral parties that you can potentially manipulate through your gameplay choices. It's a really cool design decision there to include the environments. Yep, I totally agree with everything you said. And now my number one, because I already covered the environment, is that you feel like a superhero. And I actually gave this up even in my introduction to the game. I really do think this is the only game that's out there right now that I've played anyway, where you feel like a superhero, right? You're doing all these cool superhero-y things in the game. The only part about that that's a little bit weird is why doesn't Batman start with their utility belt? So there is a little bit of a buildup similar to what you'd have in a deck builder. It certainly isn't a deck builder, but it has very deck buildery things like play this card to play two actions or play this card to give yourself the ability to play a second power on a turn. So you definitely build up in power as the game goes on. And that's really neat because you start off without anything in front of you. The ability to, I mean, I guess it's almost like flux, draw one, play one, right? You get this minor ability to do these very small things, but then as the game progresses, you become much more and more powerful, and it works kind of the way comic books work, because let's be honest, they don't, like, Voltron doesn't become Voltron at the beginning of every episode, or the episode would be boring, right? Like, you just smack whatever the enemy is and go away. So it does give you that feeling of going through the ups and downs of being a superhero and you kind of build up to your most powerful form and you are the most powerful and the coolest right at the end of the game. And so it kind of climaxes. So it is a game that makes you feel like a superhero. And that is my number one. So how about you, Mike? What's your number one? Well, geez, man, (laughs) my number one, I didn't name it the same thing you did, but my number one is your number one. And you said every single thing I was going to say, (laughs) like literally as you were talking, I was like, well, crud, I'm going to say all this stuff too. But you know what? He's not going to get the thing about how that is similar to superhero things because they don't pull out their best weapons at the beginning. He's not going to get that. And he talked about <laughs> Voltron and not pulling out. And I was like, oh, my God, Peter, you've taken – you cut my legs out from underneath me. I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. You contribute enough anyway, and you've said a lot throughout the course, so – well, yeah, so, so just briefly to kind of summarize, though, I, I did, you know, Peter had uh, the the enemies and the characters. I sort of saved that for this number one because the most interesting part about the enemies and the characters is that they each progress in a different way and build up their own combos. And that's the same thing Peter's talking about. That That's what gives you the superhero feel. But I think mechanically, in terms of the design decisions, that's the thing I find most interesting, that there sort of is a perfect state that each superhero wants to reach, where they have all their tricks available and they can just do their most effective damage and actions. And building to that each game in different orders can be very exciting, and the way each superhero does it is really unique and different. And same thing with the villains. They have their own build as well, and they can get uh, combos in play that will just totally crush you, and that's really fun too. One uh, negative, though, I'll add, although this is pretty much 100% positive for me, is that the game does lack a bit in a variety if you keep playing the same superhero over and over again. 
because although the cards will come out in a different order, you are basically trying to set up the same combos and trying to do the same things, and you'll usually reach some point if you're doing well and the villain doesn't win early, where you're doing a ton of damage every game. Man, the more I talk about this, I wonder, I wonder if Aeon's End like, credited Sentinels of the Multiverse, because I feel like that game just took some of the best ideas from this and put them into their own game. You know, like a lot of the feel of the game, the enemies, the environments, like all that stuff is just really similar. Yeah, I mean, it does it completely differently, but... Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's a very different game. feel is different. And we can get into this in, you know, when we get into our final thoughts. Well, yeah, let, let's go ahead, because, you know, we've, we've talked enough. Basically, we both agree the, the best thing about the game is feeling like a superhero, building up these combos, making your character have cooler and cooler powers as you play through the game. Cool, and I think you brought in even a more interesting, unique point, which is the enemies do that, too, and I don't think I ever touched on that. So that's kind of neat that... Not only do you get more and more cool as the game goes along, but the enemy is definitely progressing, if not by the cards it gets out in front of it, then certainly by when you flip them over, a lot of times they're more powerful on the backside. So it almost goes to like a stage two of that final combat. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mike. So why don't you let us know what your thoughts are first, since I kind of stole your thunder there with number one. (laughs) You did. You did. Uh, I, I think this is a really cool game. I like the card play. I love the variety of the heroes and the enemies and the environments are just the icing on the cake. As long as you don't mind the potential fiddliness of the bonuses, and again, if you play on the app, you can avoid all of those, I think it's a really fun game. And although I've also not played too many of the uh, expansions, I've (laughs) several times just kind of dug through the online guides they have to all the characters there's so much variety and so many crazy things in here and so many homages to your favorite superheroes. So if you like this game and you want to dive deep into it, it's the kind of game that you could play for years and years and never get bored. It, it, it really is. It's a game with a legacy. Ha ha ha. ha. I don't even know if that worked. It was the first, <laughs> it was the first legacy game? Well, I didn't mean to say that. I was trying to make the joke about it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's a great game. Uh, if you like superheroes, if you like cooperative kind of card-based combat, it's a lot of fun. Just maybe uh, because it's a cheaper buy-in, check out the app first. See if you like the feel of the game and consider whether you think the fiddliness might uh, might bring you down too much. Yeah, this is – I'm going to have a very similar recommendation I do prefer the app at this point, and I mean, I think we both made that clear at the beginning that we got rid of the physical game, and now we just play it on the app. I do think it's worth a purchase on the app for sure. It is more of a solo experience, right? You're not going to be playing this with other people necessarily when you play on the app, but they've done such a good job with the tutorial in the app. They've done such a good job of bringing that comic book feel to life as you're flipping through the app. It's like flipping comic book pages and... Each page has something different going on. You're, it shows you in the environment you're in. So I think the app does a really good job of bringing the game to life. I will say, though, if you want to play this with other people, and certainly that is one of the neatest parts, and that's why we like board games, right? And some people are never going to like an app. But I would say the game is definitely worth getting. If you put in enough time and effort to it, those things probably will fall away from you once you figure out when all those modifiers apply. I do think it is a game that you can get better and better at running. And the nice part is, once you can run it, you really can bring new players in very easily. So it won't be a game that's hard to bring new people into. And again, it makes you feel like a superhero. And I don't know that there's any alternative out there if you want to feel like a superhero right now. I'm with you. 
All right, so we've mentioned the app several times. So let's get into our design discussion, which is, again, not apps that you are sorry, not board games that use apps in the play, but actual implementations of entire board games in an app form. So, Peter, what are your thoughts overall? It sounds like you like Sentinels as an app a lot. Is that a general rule for you with these kind of games? Not every game would I prefer to play in an app even though Ticket to Ride is a good one. And I actually think it's a great implementation. It's one of the examples that I tell to people who don't know much about board games. I'm like, why don't you try Ticket to Ride? A lot of times it's free. It might always be free now. I can't remember. Sometimes it's a buck. Sometimes it was free. But I think it is a great way to learn games, especially if they have a good tutorial. I think it is good for more complex games, things like Through the Ages and Terra Mystica, which both have apps, or things like Sentinels that have a lot of modifiers. I like it in those situations, but I also think you can go to the opposite end of the spectrum in games like Oniram, which are real easy, fast-playing card games. It's nice to be able to put something like that on your phone for when you have a minute, five minutes to play something. So I do, in general, like the app implementation of board games, but I do think there are pros and cons, and that's why we're going to have that discussion today. But how about you? What are your general thoughts on app implementations of board games? Yeah, so I'm incredibly conflicted. Even with the Sentinels app, yes, it sounded like I love it and would only play the game that way, but there are a lot of negatives that I'll discuss more as we go through this discussion. But my big one, just to kind of preview a bit, is that maybe it's just my personality. I'm not saying this should happen to anybody else or will happen to anybody else. But I find that playing apps kills my joy with both the board game and eventually with the app and makes me not want to play games anymore when they have an app implementation. And that's been a pretty consistent thing for me. So we can dig a bit more into that later in the discussion. But yeah, overall, I I actually kind of come down on the negative side here. And I've, I've actively deleted most of the apps that were originally board games from my phone, and I'm, I'm pretty much just playing apps that are, you know, native to the iOS or whatever. So yeah, it, it's weird for me, because on the one hand, I really like the ease of playing the games, but there are some big negatives for me. Well, and I, th- I wonder if part of it is that games, board games as they are, and especially heavier, more complex games, can't stand up to 20, 30, 40 plays of them, You know, we love these games, but how many games do we really play that many times? Not many. And so maybe that's the fault of the game itself, the board game itself, and not necessarily the fault of the app. The app gives us the opportunity to play it multiple times in succession in very quick ways, but I think a lot of games don't stand up to that, right? Like, you just get bored of it after a while. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I prepared for this, but I think it's actually something different Because I think the games that I'm talking about would be able to be played for 40, 50, 60 times. Uh, One example is Race for the Galaxy. There are people who have played that game hundreds of times and still enjoy it. And I, it used to be one of my favorite games. And then I played it heavily on the uh, computerized app, the unofficial one, even before the real app came out. And I played like 50 times over the course of a week and I never wanted to play the game again. I didn't even want to look at it. And what I think it is, is the kind of exhaustion effect of playing a game too many times quickly in succession. I'll compare it to movies. I teach a film class. I'm a high school teacher. Hi, everyone. I'm Mike. I'm a high school teacher. Hi, Mike. (laughs) In my film class, 
to do analysis of certain scenes and sequences in movies, we'll play the exact same part three or four or five times in a row and get down really detailed notes on what the camera's doing, what the sound is doing, and how the actors are performing. And there'll be scenes that are amazing, like moving, heartwarming scenes or exciting scenes from our favorite movies. But on the fifth watch in a short amount of time, it just doesn't seem that interesting anymore. It seems all artificial. You see all the uh, sort of the wrinkles and the, the little seams in between how the scene was made. And I feel like it's the same thing here. I, I could play the game a hundred times if I gave myself that sort of natural space to want to play it again, to play it with new groups, to enjoy it again. But when I just binge it, I don't want to look at it again. And that's happened with several games I've played. So yeah, I mean, I hear you. I think maybe some games are limited enough that you wouldn't want to play them much. But I really think it's more the problem of that apps allow us to play them to exhaustion. Yeah, and the one app that has definitely gone on the other side of the spectrum for me is Through the Ages. That is a game that I was already not wanting to get to the table, but the app has enlivened that game for me. There are pros and cons to this too, though, because as you're playing the app over and over again and you play more and more, it gives you a chance to play 50, 100, 200 games, as we said, very quickly. And while I haven't gotten bored of it, I think my skill level in it has gone up way higher than it would have normally gone if I had just played it a normal amount of times at the table because you can see your mistakes quicker because you have this iteration where you're doing it over and over again. And so to some degree, I mean, it could ruin it for you playing at the table because you won't be able to play with anybody anymore unless you're playing with somebody else who's on the app all the time as well. The nice part about board games to some degree is you are at the same level as everyone else at the table. And we talked about this a little bit with Matt Leacock. And when you have that difference in skill level, it makes it not fun for both sides of people on the skill level. So I do think that is potentially another con to these app games is if you are playing with your normal game group and then you play 10 times between your games on apps, I think it can change the skill level and make the game not as fun for you in that way as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to come up with another con. You know, the more I think about this, the more I actively dislike <laughs> app implementation of board games generally. Another big negative for me is that I lose a lot of the emotional investment in a game and lose the importance of the game when the gameplay is sped up to a great extent and I can shut it down at any time, start a new game at any time, don't have to like worry about setting it up, don't have to worry about reshuffling cards... It's sort of weird, but when you take out the the fiddly bits and the sort of manual labor bits, for me, it lowers the kind of importance and emotional impact of the experience overall. And actually, uh, it's funny to go back to Sentinels of the Multiverse, and I also found this with uh, the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. Both of those games have what could be called a problem that you have a lot of fiddly math to keep track of, like a lot of bonuses. And interestingly for me, when I played those games live, I didn't really mind that, even though it was uh, on here for Sentinels. I think that's more from hearing you talk about it being a negative, Peter, than me really feeling like it was a negative for me. And th this goes back to me being a D&D &D head, you know, from back in the day, and I'm used to tons of bonuses and things in games I play. But I, I actually find sometimes that the the math and the computation and like figuring out what happens in a game is part of the fun is part of the experience. And when that's automated again, like I just feel 
some of the experience is lost. Some of the emotion of the game is lost. And I feel like I'm coming across as a Luddite right now. Like, I don't want games to be on computers. But, you know, I love video games. I love, again, games that are native to, to the App Store. It's just uh, I feel like board games have something more special. And, you know, a game that takes 45 minutes to play and I need to set up and I need to get friends together to play it, that is such a magical experience. And when I can play that exact same game in five minutes... I don't have nearly the investment, nearly the caring for it. It's just something to waste some time while I'm, you know, sitting with my kid and they're going to sleep. And there's value to that, but there's a billion things that can waste my time. Board games should be something more. And I think putting them into apps often, at least for me, takes away that importance. I'm going to counter that just a little bit in the fact that every game we've talked about lately, we are including these app integrations to them to get rid of the math to get rid of these fiddly bits so i'm not sure that that's exactly what's making you feel that way i think maybe the lack of human interaction there is making you feel that way yeah and again i think to some degree really these board games we have to design i mean you and i have designed enough games to know you have to design them where they are simple enough to play at the table and that is not a restriction that a normal video game is made under So I just don't know that most games are meant to hold up over 50, 100, 200 plays because there is some degree of finality to things. You have a certain number of event cards you can put in because of the physical limitations of it. You have a certain number of enemy pieces you can have, whereas computer AI, they can put almost unlimited number of those things in there. And so there's always something new for you to experience where board games just have limited content. And so I think to some degree that might be the limiting factor. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And by the way, what you just said brought up a pro I have for board games uh, cre- turned into apps. So I have something good to say. And that is that game designers can add more content to the apps very easily instead of needing to go through the whole like crazy printing process of an expansion. And also uh, kind of on a more just basic level they can immediately, just through an update, implement uh, rules changes and balance fixes and those kind of things, which would be terrible and totally alienate players of the actual board game because suddenly I don't have the right cards and I need to print them out myself or bother the designer to include it in the next expansion. Here, uh, they can theoretically like fix things on the fly as they go. Now, clearly they don't want to do that too much where they are going to kind of lead to the segmentation and segregation of the board game versus app communities. But it is definitely a bonus of apps and just, of course, online kind of gaming in general that things are much more quickly adjusted and fixed than they are when you have to bring cardboard and paper and China into the mix. Well, absolutely. And I I think there are a lot of benefits to it. And I think that is one of the major ones. But I think another major one is part of the hardest part about board gaming is learning rules. And even when you are bringing someone to a table to teach them a game, I don't think it can do as good a job as a good app tutorial can do. I mean, we've seen this in video games. Video games teach you how to play as you play them. And I think that is one of the major benefits of these apps. I tell my friends to go play Ticket to Ride because they can learn Ticket to Ride very easily through what the app teaches you. You don't have to sit down for 5, 10, 15 minute teach. You know, if you could tell somebody, hey, go get this free app, go play it for a little bit, and then that'll first of all bring them closer to your level, right? If you're bringing a non-gamer in 
and you can get them closer to your level because they've played it now 10 times on an app and they've learned it from the app so they don't have to sit around and teach rules for 5, 10, 15, however many minutes it takes to do so. I think there are some definite pros to that as well. So I do think the apps have their place, certainly for new gamers, if the tutorial is done well. And I mean, getting kind of more into a design discussion instead of just pros and cons of apps, as a designers, if you hear your game is signed up to make an app, because obviously we're going to be involved in it, you know, rules, questions, things like that. What are some things that we should take into account that we would want to be in our app to make it the best experience for players? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Because most apps tend to be very faithful, kind of exact ports of the board game. But there are also ones where they kind of change things up to be a different experience. I guess the main ones I'm thinking of here are from Fantasy Flight. Elder Sign is a fairly different game on in the app than it is in the board game implementation. <laughs> There's that word again. And... Same thing with, uh, at least I hear, and I know Colin and Steve were talking about this in a previous episode, but the app implementation of the Lord of the Rings card game that's coming out sounds like, although it's going to be similar to the living card game, there's also going to be a lot of differences there too. So I do wonder as a designer, do you stick with the design as made or do you potentially take advantage of some of the benefits of the different medium? You know, it's kind of like a... uh, a book being turned into a movie. Usually you don't just film the book word for word because you can't and also because it might not be as exciting. You want to make it fit the medium well. So I don't know if we'd be able to do this. The thing is that this is in a realm of, you know, electronic design that I know nothing about. But it does seem interesting to consider, like, could your design change or improve or be its own thing when you go into a digital form? So have you played the Galaxy Trucker app? I have. I've played that extensively. And actually, that that's an interesting one. I think that is the only one still in, installed on my phone. But it's because of this thing I'm talking about here. I don't play the standard mode in the Galaxy Trucker app, which is equivalent to the regular game you play with your friends. I play only the single-player campaign. Right. And that's its entirely own thing. It's totally different. And I don't feel like I'm stealing and kind of ruining the experience of Galaxy Trucker for myself. I feel like I'm playing a almost a different game that just happens to use the elements of Galaxy Trucker. Well, but I do think that even with the way that game is played so differently, I think there are a lot of lessons you take away that would help you play the board game. So I still do think it would help somebody who has never played any form of Galaxy Trucker to play that app. And then if they sat down to play the board game, they'd understand the key concepts already. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They'd understand how to build a ship. They'd understand how connections work. They'd understand what batteries do. So while it isn't a faithful implementation, it's close enough that I still think there is a benefit to it, to, you know, this this combination combining board games and apps together where one can be used to, you know, help supplement the other. Well, yeah, and and sorry, I I never meant to imply that I disagreed with you on that. I do think that apps are amazing teaching tools, and I have no problem with them in that way. But what I'm saying here is I think my favorite apps are the ones that, and this is kind of going to the design of the app, that add new elements. And a great example is a campaign mode. Another great example, the, uh, the Splendor app did this well. I like apps that give challenges 
where again, I'm not playing a full game in the normal way necessarily. I'm doing something very different that would never happen in the actual game. The more the app can give me kind of a unique experience so that I'm not just playing the basic game to death in a digital form, the more interesting I find them personally. But I don't feel like a lot of apps do that, at least not a lot of the ones I've played. They seem to mostly just kind of take the game. And I guess that would be a design choice because theoretically the game designer or somebody from the production company would be helping with those campaigns and challenges and it wouldn't just be like a digital designer i don't really know how all this stuff works <laughs> obviously well and that's the point i wanted to get back to is as a designer these are things we can ask to implement and i totally agree the reason i play through the ages all the time i barely play the base game anymore i mostly play those design challenges now i do think that is a game that would stand up to multiple hundreds of plays i've probably done that now and there are other games too which i played digitally even well before ipad was a thing where it wasn't on an app where it was on the computer like blood bowl for example i played thousands of games of blood bowl and i never got bored of that but that's because every team is so unique and every time you play you're upgrading in different ways and so i do think that that game has enough content that you don't need to create these challenges but i think for most modern board games i think the two most important things for me are having a tutorial mode that does a very good job of teaching how to play the game. And I think having challenges, I mean, obviously online play is important too, but I think the challenges, as you and I both talked about, make you play the game in a different way, or even almost a different game sometimes it feels like. That's a good call. I I do want to bring up one more kind of negative for me for many of these. And this is generally for uh, card-based games or games that have a major kind of hand management component. Definitely when I'm playing on my phone and even when I'm playing on my iPad, I do just personally find it pretty annoying to have to, you know, most games have you double-click on a card to kind of zoom in and then you can swipe to go through your whole hand, which works pretty well, but nothing replaces the feeling of having a hand of cards, first of all, and also just the ease of organizing them on the fly and seeing what they say in, you know, full-size form. And I guess that kind of applies to the games in general. I do like the tactile nature of games. I like rolling dice instead of having, you know, digital dice rolled for me. I like holding cards. I like moving things on a map. So I guess if we get into a design thing, some games are going to be better matches for digital implementation than others. And I guess this is usually going to be a publisher decision, I think. And I can't imagine too many designers being like, no, I don't want my game to be an app. How dare you suggest it? But when a publisher is picking, like, which game should be implemented in apps, yeah, kind of the two extremes you talked about earlier, it seems they fit best for games that are very complex and fiddly, where the game can basically teach it to you. Like, I'm thinking something like uh, like Brass, for example. Seems like a good kind of game to have it as, a, as an app through the ages, as you've mentioned. Yep. Both of them. And then also games that are so simple that I just want to play them really quickly and I don't feel bad that I'm maybe like losing some of the magic over time. Like uh, Oniram was a good example. I own Oniram. I don't feel like I need to own it anymore now that I've played the app to death. But I also don't feel like I've really lost anything because that was a solo game to begin with. And except for shuffling cards, which is kind of nice. The cards aren't hard to read. I can look at my hand in a second. That That's actually... I will say this, um, if your game is card-based, I'm going to like it in app form a lot better if it's mainly simple icon-based instead of paragraphs of text, Absolutely. because that requires me to zoom in on stuff. Or if it's a game like Through the Ages, where you will eventually kind of like memorize to an extent what the cards do because you see them over and over again, 
But, like, I would never, <laughs> I would never in a million years want to play, like, an app version of uh, Eldritch Horror or, like, a big Ameritrashy game like that with tons of decks all over the place. Yes, it would streamline the experience. I wouldn't have to shuffle things and setup would be faster. But it would just be a nightmare to keep track of the things I can do, the cards that I'm interacting with, like, the encounters I'm having, like, all of that. I, I don't think that would be much fun. So I, I do think either designers, publishers, whoever makes the decision, there are certain games that are going to work better for apps and certain games that are not going to work as well. And maybe don't try to shove your game into the wrong place. Well, and I do think there are things you can do to fix that. I mean, I think you can have, obviously, voice acting for some of the cards. I, I mean, we're talking about a huge cost and expense here, so I don't think we're there yet. But I do think there are things you can do with the graphic design. So I think Mansions of Madness Second, even though it's an app and a board game, I think some of the cool things that they've experimented with, like even just the crows flying out at the beginning and the, the eerie music, I think you can bring people in, but you have to put more time and effort in. It can't be just a straight port of the game. It can't just be you're looking at a board and you flip a card and now you've got to read the card. I think you can do things in the app. We just haven't seen some of those things yet. Yeah. It is interesting what you brought up earlier that I very much enjoy and prefer to use app assistance in games. So like have the Gloomhaven enemy decks be controlled by an app instead of actually shuffling the individual decks. But then I tend to not enjoy games that are fully apt. And I don't I don't really know why that is. I, I guess I still have the tactile nature. I can still play with other people, so I don't lose like all the kind of good things of real-life board games we've been talking about. So maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's as simple as that, that I keep the best parts I like of the board game, but can actively choose to use the app to replace the parts that slow down that live experience to the point where it's maybe not as much fun or not as easy to get to the table. Well, and I'm sure we'll get into this discussion again because we're running long here, but we haven't even talked about playing online. There are certainly benefits of playing with people you can't normally play with. Oh, sure. Good point. So we haven't gone down a lot of branches that we can go down, but just, you know, as a designer, if you have a choice here, I would certainly say make the tutorial as good as you can in the app. You know, again, you're not going to be making the app, but I would insist if it's not good enough that that is something that they improve on. Yeah, and it's it's so frustrating when a game just plops the rule book down in front of you. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, don't do that. And it's like, please, you know, hold my hand through half of a game and then drop me off. That's what most of these games do, and it's perfect. So, yeah, it it, it is... It's frustrating. I mean, I know it's probably a cost issue and these things are not cheap to develop, but it's frustrating when it seems like they just did nothing. Like, here's a poorly arted version of the board. Here's all the components. Like, like when I feel like I'm just playing on Tabletop Simulator, that's not a good app anymore. That's, that's a bad experience. Absolutely. Totally agree. And we'll leave it at that. All right. So thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to contact us. You can get us at uh, Twitter, at MVP Board Games. Yeah, and Colin and Steve should be back next week with another great episode, and we will talk to you guys in two weeks. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVP Board Games at gmail.com. 
Today we're going to be getting into a deep dive discussion and uh, sort of recommendation. That didn't make any sense. Superhero in any of those games, whereas in this one you're definitely playing as a superhero and you feel that way. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Wait, was that the entire theme? You didn't even say anything about the theme. <laughs> or are you just introducing the game? So to get into the theme... <laughs> I'm so confused. I was kind of waiting for you to intervene that I was going to get into the theme, but sure. Go ahead. It's fine. I'll get right into it. So I do, in general, like board game implementation of apps. But, wait. <laughs> that's, not, that's not right at all. I, I'm, I'm going to play the, the board game version of... Candy Crush. Well, they actually <laughs> have that. Crush. They do have that, by the way. Oh, they do? Oh, jeez. Uh, Potion Explosion, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. App implementations of board games. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to say, say, obviously, because I messed it up about 50 times in a row. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am very conflicted about implementations, about those, <laughs> about apps of board games. Why do we need implementations in there at all? <laughs> You're the English teacher, man. I thought yeah. that'd be easy for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't say that word a lot. I am not a robot. I am an app saying goodbye.